Thank you for listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you wherever you are. For more information about South Metro Ministries, please visit smmcog.com. The Lord has been touching my life in a very special way recently. And I have taken what the Lord has put in my heart, really, literally, in just the last few days, few weeks, and put it in a brand new book. This is the first place that I've had this book. They just delivered them to my office yesterday. To be quite honest with you, it's not really complete. The manuscript is complete. Everything is in the book. I'm still working on some of the presentation as it relates to the cover and the printing. We're getting there. But I said, hurry up and get something to me. I want to take it to North Georgia. Because the Lord has put in my heart a word about a very special season that he's brought me into. It's an accelerated season. It's what I call life at the speed of favor. I call it the Amos paradigm from Amos 9.13 where the Bible said there will come a day when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. As soon as you can plant it, you're reaping. As soon as you can reap it, it's time to plant again. That's where the Lord's brought me. And I don't read this to sell a book, but I want to read this to give you the heart of what the Lord's been talking to me about. This is called the Amos Paradigm, Life at the Speed of Favor. The promise of Amos 9.13 offers a new paradigm of faith and expectation where old disappointments give way to new realities of expedience and abundant fruitfulness. The old paradigm of religiosity and system dependence isn't sustainable anymore. The old paradigms of doing church aren't sustainable either. We have arrived at a time when the sludge-like flow of ecclesiastical progress that some mistake for kingdom expansion cannot be tolerated. That was a mouthful, by the way. I hope you got that. The harvest demands more from us than what that mindset will ever allow. Today's frequently embraced paradigm and language of political correctness dilutes preaching to a distasteful pablum and ministry to an ineffective placebo and will ultimately produce an anemic church. The Amos 9.13 season, however, will be accompanied by prophetic voices whose message will intimidate spiritual darkness and push back against encroaching moral compromise. So rather than doing church, we begin to be the church of the Lord Jesus in the earth today. Be listening for the voices of those crying in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Be on the lookout for firebrand preachers who are given more to self-sacrifice than self-preservation. A generation of determined young people is accepting the call to world-changing ministry. And in anticipation of it, they're giving themselves to the backside of the desert preparation. If a burning bush of revival happens to ignite while they're there, they'll remove their sandals of worldly dependence and like Moses stand on the holy ground of God's sovereignty. With Jehovah on their side, they will lead nations into the promised land of an unprecedented harvest. Indeed, that's the least we can expect. And it won't be the first time. It's happened before. I want you to get this brand new book, The Amos Paradigm, Life at the Speed of Favor. And I want you to have it so bad, I'm just going to give you my CD to go along with it when you get the book.
Now, conventional wisdom says when you've got a new book, you need to preach the anchor message out of that book. That's conventional wisdom. And that's what I came here to do tonight. I came tonight to talk to you about the Amos paradigm, the 913 season. If the Lord will help me, I'll do that tomorrow night. I'm going to go against conventional wisdom, and I'm going to obey God. What do you think? And I don't even know if you can call this a sermon because I've never preached it before. I'm just going to give you some thoughts that I have on my heart. And I don't know where the music's coming from, but play for a while. And then if I get in trouble, start playing again. But I was sitting on this row right down here, ready to preach the anchor message out of my new book. And the Lord said, get up and tell somebody what they need to do on the worst day of their life. Never preached that. I've never preached that. I write a little article for a gospel music internet magazine, and I just wrote an article by that title. And if you look it up today, that's what you'll find. It's part one of a series I'm doing, but I've never preached it. So I'm just going to share a few things out of my heart, and if it gets energetic and you can call it preaching, say he preached tonight. If it doesn't, just say he exhorted tonight. And if it doesn't even get off the runway, just go home and feel sorry for me and give me another chance tomorrow night. That's all I can tell you. I still lean very heavily on the Lord, but I've been doing this long enough that... Uh, I've kind of got beyond impressing folks. I just try to obey God. I was mesmerized recently by an old story out of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Why don't you find it? And the, and the, and the folks in the, in the media, uh, I'm, I'm messing with you tonight. I'm not going where I told you I was going to go. Save it for tomorrow night. But if you can find 1 Samuel chapter 30 in the New King James, go ahead and find that and put it up here. I want to talk to you just a little while about what to do on what thus far may have been the worst day of your life. Now, I've had some bad days. I probably have had some days that I could classify that up to this point have been, been the worst day. But I hope I'm still relatively young. I, I hope I've had my worst day. I hope every day from now on is just great and wonderful. But... There's still time for some more challenges. That cold snap you were talking about, actually one before that a few weeks ago when it got down to one degree in Cleveland, Tennessee. Somebody said, I thought it was cold in Cleveland all the time. No, it's not. But it got down to one degree the other day, and I was in Florida trying to find warmer weather. And I got a call that uh, pipes had busted in my house and uh, water ran freely for at least one full day, maybe two, before it was discovered. And they're telling us now that we'll be back in our house in about six months. 
and I'm living in a little apartment. And uh, that was a pretty bad day. They were able to save about two-thirds of our possessions. Everything else was thrown out. I did all right until I got to throwing out my old Southern Gospel record album collection, Dr. Baker. And uh, when I had to pitch Howard and Vestal in the trash bin and the Blackwood Brothers and the Statesman Quartet, I shed a few tears. Now, there's some young people up here in this choir. They don't have a clue who I'm talking about. But that was a pretty bad day. Met with our contractor yesterday, and he said that he's, he's going to start next week, but it's going to be about a six-month process. Bad day. But I don't think I've ever had a day like the one I'm about to read about. Look at this. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinahem, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Now, that's a bad day. Any way you slice it, that's a bad day. Bankrupt, family gone, house burned down, those that you lead wanting to kill you because they got to blame somebody. That's a bad day. But David strengthened himself. The King James Version says he encouraged himself. I am about to feel like preaching here. In the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Got two questions for you, God. Shall I go? And if I go, will I win? Shall I go? Will I win? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, recover all. Let me read just the first three words of that next verse. So David went. What do you do on what thus far has been the worst day of your life? Father, I just felt like you kept pressing this on me and I have no assumption that I'm making about what might happen as a result of this. 
I've got four or five little points that I just want to make quickly, and then I'm going to call this crowd to prayer because there's somebody here tonight that needs a miracle. Somebody here tonight needs help. So help me through the Holy Spirit. Help them in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do? What do you do when what you've just come through, what you're in the middle of, surely can't get any worse than it is right now? When I study the life of David, I'm pressed with the fact that between his birth in Bethlehem and his coronation as king of Judah, there is this in-between time that I've come to call the hellacious middle. Between your birth and your destiny, this span of time, this season of struggle in between getting here and getting there, the hellacious middle. I call it that from something that I heard someone say one time. They said that when God shuts one door, he opens the other, but sometimes it's hell in the hallway. And some of you are there tonight. David, like Jesus, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the house of provision where Jesus himself would be born. It speaks prophetically. It speaks wonderfully of the things that are to come. David, who would be king of Judah and ultimately over all of Israel, but three days before he was crowned king, he and his men ride upon the town of Ziklag where their homes are and their possessions are and their wives and their children are only to see from the distance the smoldering remains of what used to be. Their children are gone. Their wives are gone. The houses are burned to the ground. The treasures are gone. And the Bible said that when they saw that, their emotional reaction was that they wept until there was no more power to weep, but then immediately vengeance and anger began to kick in, and they began to look at David for someone to blame, and the Scripture says they desired to kill him. What do you do? What do you do when your motives are misunderstood? What do you do when your leadership is questioned? What do you do when you get up and you preach on Sunday and it took everything you could do, everything you could muster to motivate yourself to get there and to motivate others while you were there, but then you go home to fall back into depression and to fall back into the struggles that you have in your own house. What do you do? What do you do, David? What do you do? on the worst day of your life. I don't even want to begin to describe what your worst day may have been. For most, I'm sure that would involve the death of a loved one, the death of someone near. For some, it would involve a home burning to the ground or a home flooding. For some, it might be a child announcing to you that they're struggling with sexual orientation 
or maybe a daughter that announces to you that at a very young teen age she's pregnant out of wedlock. Maybe it's the discovery of something that you hoped you would have never found a family member involved in, but it's deep and it's dirty and it's destroying your home. What do you do? When I look at the example that David gives us here, there's just several things that come to mind, and I'll mention them, and then I'm going to pray. First of all, David wept. As I said, and as the Scripture said, these men, including David, wept. They cried until there was no more power in them to weep. No more tears to flow. Just the agony and the anguish of the groaning and the moaning of your sorrow reaching up to heaven. He wept. Now I'm going to go against something that you might hear on television if you tune in late enough tonight to some of the popular Christian channels. I'm going to tell you that weeping is not inconsistent with faith. Did anybody hear that? Weeping and going through a struggle in your life does not mean you have no faith. Jesus did it at the tomb of Lazarus. Abraham did it when Sarah died. Peter wept bitterly when the reality of his sin and betraying Jesus fell upon him. God made us to be emotional beings. And what's amazing about that is that we not only deal with the fact of our infirmities, but we deal with the feeling of our infirmities. I'll never forget when I was pastoring in Virginia, Dr. Baker, you were the bishop there, you know Danville. I went to the hospital one day to visit a man that had had knee replacement surgery, corrective surgery. They did surgery on him one day, and I, I couldn't believe how quick they had this man back up on his feet walking down the corridors of that hospital. And he had just taken a stroll with the assistance of the attendants, and they had just brought him back to his room and put him in the bed when I got there. And we were talking, and we were talking about his pain and talking about the surgery. And he was remarking to me of how painful the surgery was and how difficult it was to go through. But he said, Preacher, I want to tell you, as painful as that surgery was, when they came in here and got me out of this bed this morning and made me stand on my feet and put these new knees back into motion, he said, I've never felt pain like that in all of my life. But the attendant kept saying to me, this is necessary because we've got to bend this knee and we've got to stretch these muscles and stretch these ligaments to keep poison at bay and to keep disease at bay. He said, it was necessary for me to feel this pain in order to experience my recovery. And I walked away from that little experience having learned a great lesson. And that lesson is sometimes it hurts to heal. 
Now, I'm preaching better than anybody shouting right now. Sometimes it hurts to heal. And this crowd that wants to run up on stage and go through all these animated calisthenics and talk like I've, like I've done something wrong if I shed a tear. And I've done something wrong if I wake up one day and, and have a bad morning. You know, I just want to pour water on their head or something. You see, I'm emotional. Now, you can sit there all stuck up all night long if you want to, but let somebody stomp on your toe and see how emotional you are. See, I don't always feel good. I don't always feel like preaching. I don't always feel like singing. Had a guy call me up one day, Monday morning. We just had one of those great services on Sunday night like you can have sometimes in a Pentecostal church when you do everything you can do in a Pentecostal service. We ran, we jumped, we skipped, we fell out, got up and fell out some more. We spoke in tongues, we did it all. One guy bunny hopped across the stage and it wasn't me. But this guy called up on Monday morning. He'd been right in the middle of all of it the night before, but he calls me Monday morning. He says, pray for me, preacher. I don't feel saved today. I said, well, pray for me first because I preached to you last night and I don't feel saved either. <laughs> Monday morning, I don't feel saved most Mondays. But the truth is I'm not saved by how I feel. I'm saved by what I know. And what I know is I've passed from death unto life and old things have passed away and I've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what I know. But it doesn't negate the fact that sometimes I hurt. And David hurt. David wept and weeping and hurting is not inconsistent with faith. But we serve a God who knows the feelings. He can be touched, not just with the fact of our infirmity, but with the feeling of our infirmity, the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of heart disease, the feeling of cancer, the feeling of being heartbroken. He knows the feeling of our infirmity. What do you do on the worst day of your life? You just sit out and have a good cry. I had one the other day. Over there in that hotel room in Florida when we got the call that our house had flooded and Paula broke down immediately. That's just what a woman does. It took me three days and pitching Howard and Vestal in the trash bin to have my crying fit. But I had one. You weep. But you can't weep forever. David was the one who said it out of experience. Weeping may endure for the night, but you've got to move toward joy and you've got to move toward recovery and you've got to move toward a new expectation of your season in God. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy, somebody shout joy. Joy comes in the morning. David moved from weeping into worship. The Bible said that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself. What do you do on the
the worst day of your life. You've got to move from that first stage of weeping and experiencing the sorrow now into a mode of recovery where you find that your strength is in your relationship with Almighty God and you begin to worship him and praise him again because he has not changed. Somebody say, how do you know he worshiped? I know he worshiped because he found strength and encouragement. And that only comes from an encounter of worship with Almighty God. How did he do it? I think I know how he did it. He was a songwriter. Being a songwriter, I can appreciate David and his songwriting ability. I believe he picked up the old hymn book called the Book of Psalms. And he just began to rehearse where he had been and what he had done and how God had been with him. And he turned the pages and he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. You see, that's what worship does. It helps you get a right perspective. He said, magnify the Lord. Now, God is God himself. He can't be enlarged upon. But when David began to worship, it brought his problems smaller and made God look bigger in his sight. And worship caused him to get the right perspective. If you learn how to worship tonight, you'll discover that your problem isn't as big as God is. Your problem isn't bigger than God. Your problem isn't stronger than God. Worship helps you get the right perspective. And David said, let's magnify God. Let's put the magnifying glass of our praise upon God. Put the magnifying glass of our worship on God and make him larger in this set of circumstances. He worshiped. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us rejoice in his name together. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised. While I live, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. On the worst day of your life, you've got to muster up a praise unto God and worship him in spirit and in truth. Nobody said it'd be easy. Sometimes you gotta work at it. I got all these pastor stories. I don't have too many stories being an overseer. I should have, but I don't. Don't have too many stories being on the committee. I, I could have if I'd let myself talk about them, but I don't. But I got lots of pastor stories. Walked into my office one day when I was in Danville. Keith Gunner knows Danville. He was there with me some. And again, it's a Monday morning. I shouldn't have even been there. But I walked in and I shuffled to my desk and the weight of the world was on me that day. I had a building program going on. I'd haggled with contractors going through all that. I thought I was a building contractor instead of a preacher there for a while. Had radio programs to make, TV programs to shoot, places to travel, councils and boards to meet with, and budgets to go through. And I sat down at my desk, and I felt so low I could have sat on a curb and swung my legs. Somebody help him back there. He needs oxygen. I was depressed. Now, I'm sorry, but I was depressed. Some lady had an appointment with me that morning. She come in. Her role in the church was to come by and quote negative prophecy to me. 
I mean, she could find the worst stuff to tell every time she'd show up in my office about how there's going to be a great falling away and the church is going to split and God's going to kill us all and all this happens before Jesus comes. And she'd, she'd, she'd find the worst stuff in the world to tell me. She'd been there that morning, dumped that load on me. And I'm sitting there, I'm blue, I'm despondent, I'm discouraged, I'm ready to quit. And I just got R.W. Shambox magazine in the mail the Friday before, and I've got it up there on the corner of my desk. And I looked at the headline and said, All you need is faith in God. I thought, Yeah, I bet. Wish you was here in person to tell me that. And the day before, I had just preached on praise and worship. And the house blew apart. I mean, I, I preached on the different kinds of praise, you know. What it meant to, to praise God in spirit and in truth. And, and there, was a, there was a section in my sermon where I even talked about dancing before the Lord. And I did it on stage. I mean, I just danced before the Lord. I had a Hammond B3 behind me. I had a robe choir behind me and they were dancing and we were shouting. I mean, it just blew apart. I didn't get to finish preaching. That was just 24 hours earlier. But 24 hours later, I had no dance in me. I'm sitting in my office ready to resign. I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And all of a sudden, the Lord got to talking to me. He said, what would you preach yesterday? And I got to thinking about it. I said, well, point number one was you can, preach your, you can praise your way out of a problem. Point number two is you can worship your way out of worry. I mean, it's your choice. You can praise or you can pout. You can magnify or you can moan. You can sing or you can sigh. Now, you know, I'm just going through all this with the Lord. And I said, uh, I said, Lord, I preached on dancing before you like David did with all of his might. God said, well, why don't you do it now? And I looked around. There's no Hammond B3. There's no robe choir. I thought, that's foolish. That's foolish. I got, a, I got a waiting room of people out there waiting to see me. Their pastor who supposedly got it all together, he knows what to tell them. He can solve their problems. I got a staff in their offices. They're all out here. They're running up and down the hallway. And if I start dancing and cutting the fool in here, they're going to think I've had a breakdown. God said, well, just handle it on your own then. And I suddenly realized I couldn't handle it on my own. At that point, anything was worth a try. I started quoting every verse of scripture I could quote about trusting God and praising God, and I pushed myself away from my desk. I'm still sitting in my chair trying to get up courage to do all by myself what I'd done in front of a, about 500 people the day before, and then I finally stood up, and, and I, I, I didn't feel it at first. I just started picking one foot up and putting it down and picking up the other. And I was doing disco, you know, disco here and disco there and, and disco here and disco there. And all of a sudden I got to feeling what I was doing and I, I just began to dance and, and I just began to shout and I just began to praise God. And I said, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, praise, oh, magnify the Lord. They thought I was having a breakdown out there in the lobby, but instead of a breakdown, I was having a breakthrough. I came out to tell somebody on the worst day of your life, you got to muster up a praise. You got to muster up a shout unto God. Job did it. Job did it. 
Job's wife said, curse God and die. But Job said, if I can curse God and die, darling, I can bless God and live. And the Bible said, in all this Job sinned not, neither did he charge God foolishly. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, why don't you praise him right now? Oh, let's worship him here. If I don't say anything else, let's stop right here for a moment and let's worship God. This may have been the worst day of your life, but why don't you shout unto God with a voice of triumph? Praise him. Praise him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Lean over and tell somebody I think he's feeling better. Oh, you sit down. I feel like preaching now. Hell in the hallway. Hellacious middle. What do you do? David wept. He worshiped. But then he waited on a word. Don't let your circumstance push you into frantic responses. Don't let your hell in the hallway experience force you to react quickly and urgently and do something that brings ruin to your ministry or your family. See, I've learned that a lot of what I go through is more about my endurance than it is my achievement. I'm going to tell you something else you're not going to hear on late night Christian television. I don't have a problem with late night Christian television. I raise money for them. I'm going next week to raise money for one of them. But I'm going to give you something you won't hear in a telethon, praise a thon. Because what I'm going to tell you right here goes against that grain. Be faithful. Because some things you're not meant to conquer. You're just meant to endure. And the fact that you endure becomes your testimony of victory. Because if the devil could have got you, he'd have got you in the middle of that stuff. But the fact that you live to sing another song and you live to preach another sermon and you live to pray another prayer and you live to go one more day testifies of the fact that God is able to keep you. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with every temptation, he will provide a way of escape. And I'm going to confess to you tonight, there's just been some stuff I escaped out of just in time. But I got out. I tell you what, I'm going to buy this CD myself tonight. Don't let your problems push you into a panicked response. All of David's men are saying, vengeance, vengeance. Get up, kill them, or we're going to kill you. Lead us into battle. And he ultimately would, but first he said, no, I got to wait on God. Oh, we're going to go to battle, but I'm not going to God, says so. And he waited on a word. He said, Abiathar, bring me the priest ephod. Bring me that instrument. 
that was a part of the priest wardrobe that the breastplate would be attached to and those stones on that breastplate would light up in such a way and, and when they did it was a signal that God was directing this way or that way. David said that's the way God's talking to the priest right now. I need to hear from God. Bring me the priest ephod. He would call for it on another occasion when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He knew how to wait on God for a word. Now you got to be careful about these words. We got word chasers. We got people that'll chase certain evangelists to get a word like some people read the horoscope in a newspaper. What's my word? What's my word today? When I was in Oklahoma, I was hearing about a certain evangelist and I wanted to go hear him because I, I was thinking about using him sometime in one of my meetings and I found out he was going to be in a certain area. So I went and slipped in to his meeting. I'd gone home first and taken off my coat and my tie and dressed down because I didn't want to look like a preacher and be spotlighted and called out and all that stuff. So I went in casual and sat on the back row. And sure enough, he came out, did his thing, and it was all good. And, you know, I was, I was okay with it so far. But the moment I made eye contact with him, he said, Hey, you in the back, come up here. So my obedient self went down there and I stood in front of him. He said, raise your hand. So I raised my hand, and he started. He said, yay. It always starts with a good yay. Lean over and say somebody, yay. I like this thing about not preaching. I think I do better when I don't preach. He said, yay, saith the Lord. And I'm just. Your sickness is not unto death. And when he said that, I went. I've been a little blue, but I had no clue how terminal I was. I mean, I was a state overseer. I was dealing with stuff. I was depressed half the time. He said, your sickness is not unto death. Pastor Mature, he wasn't through. He said, and furthermore, now you get a yay and a furthermore in the same night, you got you something there. Part two is a hinge on this prophecy. It turns. Furthermore, I'm telling you, the man said this to me. Thou shalt not die as long as you live. I opened both eyes then. <laughs> said, thank you, sir. And at that moment, I knew about him everything I needed to know. We got people that will chase a word. But when you're going through the worst day of your life, if you'll wait and if you'll worship, you won't have to chase one. It'll come to you. All oh, that more dignified than I am, but I got it on me tonight. The word of God will come to you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And if you wait, the word will come. And David said, God, I just got to know two things. Shall I go? And if I go, will I win? 
And inherent in all of that is, God, are you with me? Because if you're not with me, I'm not going. I'm not going to let them push me into going if you're not with me. I'm not going to let them threaten me into going if you're not. i got to know, God, if I go, will I win? I've got to have a word. God said, i got a word for you, David. Pursue. Pursue. Get up and go. And you shall recover all. What do you do? I'm going to get real vulnerable with you. Anybody in an elected position in Cleveland, Tennessee shouldn't get this vulnerable and shouldn't write stuff in a book like I wrote in this one because it could be endangering to my political health. I got a spirit on me now that says I don't care about a whole lot. And I'll set up half a night and worry about it when I get back to the hotel. You know the anointing's dangerous sometimes, isn't it? I'm gonna be very transparent with you. Paul and I have three beautiful daughters. I got to hold it together right here. I got one married a preacher and one's about to. June 21st, going to marry a preacher. Another one in the family. But I got another daughter that all her little life went with me to just about every camp meeting I ever preached. Went to youth camp. Got filled with the Holy Ghost at a youth camp. Baptized. I baptized her. Keith, you may not remember this. I had resigned my church in Danville, Virginia, two years before I left because I had let somebody talk me into taking a state position. And when I let them, and it wasn't Keith, but, but when I let them talk me into it and got up and resigned my church, I felt like I would spit in God's eye. And for two weeks I lived like I was in a thousand funerals because I knew I had not done the right thing. And this little girl looked at me one day while we're driving down the road, and she said, Daddy, how do you know God told you to leave this church? And I didn't know, and I couldn't tell her. And I went back and fell on the mercy of that church and asked them to take me back, and I stayed two more years. And that little girl had the perception to look at me and tell me, she went to Lee University, graduated high school with honors, went right into Lee a year early. As a senior in high school, she went to Lee, come out with a 4.0 grade average, four years running. Don't know where she got it. 4.0, perfect, perfect. She gave one of the addresses in the commissioning service. Dr. Kahn asked her to get up and tell about her college experience, and she got up and said some of those profound things. An intellectual, a wonderful lyricist. She can write lyrics and songs that put me in the shade. Wonderful with words. We came home from the commencement at Lee, and 
had a big old cookout and party. I gave her the keys to a new car. I was glad to give it to her. I was proud of her. She packed that car the next morning, went to Columbus, Ohio, got a good job, graduated with a business degree, got a good job at a bank making good money. Six months, she calls me. Dad, just want you and Mom to know I quit my job. And I've got the attention of a record producer and a studio, and uh, I've joined a rock and roll band. And for the next four years, my girl traveled the length and breadth of the United States, Canada, went to Europe and around this world with a rock and roll band. Got on a van full of instruments with four other people and traveled this country for four years. Four years, I'd look up her schedule on the Internet and wished I hadn't done it. Because I'd see where she was playing in the dives and the hellacious venues. And all I could do is ask God to keep her safe. Four years. Paul would get up out of bed, go down the hallway to her bedroom, fall across her bed, many times middle of the day, walk upstairs, go down the hallway, fall across my girl's bed and cry and pray and ask God to just keep his hand on her, keep her safe. She did it so much that her perfume got in that bed. And when my girl would come home to visit, that perfume would emanate off that bed. And she'd say, Paula, or she'd say, Mom, you've been in my bedroom praying again. Paula would say, yeah, and I'm going again. Four years. Four years, Dr. Baker, I put on the face. Four years. My last four years on the executive committee, I put on the face. I'd get up in all these meetings, and I'd go around the world, and I'd preach to other people's kids. I'll never forget one night in Spain. Joe, one night in Spain, I gave an altar call, and I, no less than a 1,000 young people walked the aisle to get saved and be filled with the Holy Ghost in Spain. And While I rejoiced in that, I went back to my room and muffled my cries in my pillow and said, God, what about my girl? Where's, where's my girl tonight? Four years. Four years, I'd go to those prayer meetings that the committee would have, and we'd sit around our little circles, and we'd give prayer requests, and I'd say, pray for Brittany. Y'all just pray for Brittany. Never would tell them where she was at and what she's into. Four years. One morning, God spoke to me, and I'll tell you more about it tonight. It's what this book is about. God spoke to me. He said, I'm bringing you into an accelerated season. And he said to me specifically, I'm bringing you into your Amos 9.13 season, a day when things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. That's what the Message Bible says. One blessing on the heels of the next. In seven days, in seven days, I was elected director of world missions. In seven days, I saw one of the greatest financial miracles I had ever seen for Church of God World Missions when at that general assembly, you and people like you gave $750,000 to keep missionaries on the field in seven days. 
from the time God spoke that to me and said, I'm bringing you into an accelerated season. Seven days. In seven days. I don't know what happened. I haven't asked. I don't need to know. But that child of mine called. And she said, the band is over. I'm coming home. She came home and had an encounter with Jesus Christ and began to write her songs of worship and praise again. What do you do on the worst day of your life? Go ahead and weep. But as quick as you can, move into worship. Wait on your word. But get up. And hear the word of God when he says, you will recover all. And the Bible said, listen, the Bible said, David went. David went. And he recovered all. Stand with me, please. Your season is changing, and it's changing now. I am not through using you. I have invested too much in you to drop you now. Rise up. Brush yourself off. Move ahead, for I still have a plan. And the latter, the latter will not compare to what I will do in your life. Where you've been will not compare to what God's about to do for you. Just start walking down this aisle here. Just, just come down here and stand with me. Come on. Come on, everybody. Come on. Come on. Come on. Holy Ghost. You know what I feel like singing? It's a new season. It's a new day. A fresh anointing is flowing my way. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season coming to me it's a new season it's a new day fresh anointing is flowing my way it's a season of power and prosperity sing these words with me somebody it's a new season coming to me 
Reach over and touch somebody on their shoulder, would you? Father, I just want to enter into a time here. I make no apology for this. I, I sense a deep thing happening here. Don't remove your hand off that person. Let it be as if it were the hand of God that just reached out and touched them and just reached out and touched you. Let it be as if it were the hand of the Holy Spirit reaching through you to touch them. Flow through these hands, Holy Spirit. Flow through these hands. Flow through these hands that have been reached out to touch people. Flow through these hands that are reaching out to touch men and women right now. Let it be as the hand of healing. Let it be as the hand of restoration. Father, we worship. Oh, that's the word. That's the word. I just felt the Spirit release me there to ask you to worship God. Worship your way. Now lift those hands up and worship your way into his healing. Worship your way into his deliverance right now. Worship your way into his healing and in his deliverance right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Sing whatever the Lord's given you over there. Come on, press in, press in. There's something wonderful happening in the Holy Ghost here. There's something powerful happening in the Holy Ghost here. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you what motivated David. What in the threat of those men? It wasn't the treasure. He was motivated by the fact that the enemy had stolen his family. And when God spoke to him and assured him that he would win and he would recover, that's all he needed. He began to see the victory through eyes of faith before he saw it in the natural. When God said, you will recover all, he could begin to immediately see his children back where they belonged, his wife back where she belonged. His eyes of faith saw what his ears of understanding had heard from God. And when you drape vision around God's promises somebody's coming home you've got a wrap vision you've got a drape vision around the promise that God gave you for your family you've got to begin to see it David rode up on the camp of the Amalekites and saw his wives and his children and the others being made sport of and being held hostage and a righteous indignation arose in him and he said, this stops now. 
We'll tell you, we've become too passive, folks. Our sons and daughters are going to hell, and we've got too passive about it. But if you can ever see them restored through eyes of faith, and you ride upon the enemy's camp, and you see what the enemy has done to spoil them and make sport of them and try to ruin their life, somehow holy, righteous indignation will rise up in your soul, and you will say, devil, this stops now. No more. It stops now. No more. I've laid my heart and my soul bare before you tonight, and I make no apology for it. I dare say that I'm not the only one. There's people here tonight, you've got sons and daughters and family that need God in a desperate way. And if you're ready for the enemy to release its grip and for them to come home, get your hands in the air. We're going to claim them right now. Put a name on it. Put a name on it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I claim, I claim the Laurens and I claim the Blakes and I claim the Billies and I claim the Susies and and I claim the Melindas, and I claim the Britneys, and I claim the Terras, and, and I claim the Jameses, and I claim the John, and, and I claim, I claim the sons and the daughters. Oh, there's something here. There's some, just sing. Y'all sing. I got to get somewhere in the Holy Ghost here. Somebody raise your hands again. There's something just broke in the kingdom here. Something just broke in the spirit realm. There is Oh yes. oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. There is power in the name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.